trying to pay me back. <laughs> but we're going to do that, so that's what we're doing. We'll receive the offering. But I want to share a word before we do that. Y'all, y'all game? Y'all alive? Well, here's something the Lord was showing me. I feel like the Lord was saying to me, this is a, like a season for promotion. And um, <clears throat> it doesn't... Things don't always appear as they, they really are. Um, probably the promotion will not look like what you would expect. In other words, there's a uh, there's a church in Israel that when you, to go in the door of this church to go in this church you have to stoop down. Everybody, y'all know about that church? Where's that church at, Jim? It's in Bethany, and that church has a doorway that's shorter than most people. In order to get into that church, you got to stoop, and the it was built that way to, to remind people that it takes humility to enter into the things of God. And I honestly thought, man, I, you know, that's what we need to do in our church. But when we built this building, but I knew the uh, building inspector wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go for it. But that's really what, one of the things that God was saying to me is this is a time of promotion. And God is going to give, present doorways to people. Yet the doorway will not look like something you want to go through. You hear what I'm saying to you? You got to be careful that you don't reject the door that God places before you, because the door don't look so hot. Jesus was born in a stable, you know, the King of Kings. Next thing the Lord showed me uh, about a promotion is uh, we have a tendency when God begins to do stuff is, um, and we hear this term about laying things down, and I think that's really really good because if your hands are full of something, you can't receive something new. Is that right? In other words, if I got this microphone in one hand, this bottle of water in my other hand, for me to put anything else in my hand, I've got to put something down. Is that right? You follow me? Well, here's what the Lord was saying to me. He was saying, uh, don't just don't lay things down. Just open your hands up and let me take out of your hand what I want to take out of your hand. Because listen to this, I can tell you by experience of laying things down and trying to pick up something that God really hadn't called me to pick up, that you that's an exercise in futility. You got that? It's an exercise in futility. We need to allow God to decide what's in our hands, what we need to stop, what we need to do different. You got that? I mean, this is, if you can get that one, you know, you're going to uh, save yourself some difficulties. Um, a lot of times we stop doing things that God's called us to do, and we wind up getting in trouble with them. So you've got to be careful during these seasons because what is happening, God starts stirring people. Anybody feel stirred by the Lord? Raise your hand recently. Just on a personal level, maybe not on a corporate level, but a personal level, God starts stirring in people's hearts. And I've been in that place, and believe me, I've went through that place a few times and blew it. You got that? Blew it. And, and a couple of things I did. Number one is the door that God put in front of me, I didn't think it was good enough. Didn't look good. Didn't appear good to the flesh. In fact, my flesh didn't want it. So I missed the Lord. Another time, I'm oh, I, you know, God's wanting to do this new thing in my life. I better stop doing this and stop, you know, putting all these things in. And the Lord's saying six months later, "Who told you to stop?" Anybody ever got a word like that from the Lord? Who told you to stop? And it's because you lay things down that God is not leading you to stop doing. We're talking about letting Jesus Christ be the Lord of our lives and quit pushing on with things. Amen. Well, here's something I've been working on this message for 27 years. I'm serious, 27 years. And I wanted to, I especially saved it for this morning 
to give to uh, everybody who's graduated from high school and college and Christ School of Ministry. If you graduated last year or last month or 20 years ago, I got this, this word for you. And so, for, so for, turn to First uh, Samuel 30, 1 through 9, 1 through 8, I think. Yeah, 1 through 8. And I want to read this to you, and I want to talk to you about promotion, okay? About promotion. Who wants to be promoted in the Lord? I mean, wouldn't you? Or who wants to be promoted on their job? I mean, it don't have to be just spiritual. You don't? <laughs> okay. Maybe you want to be promoted in the Lord. It can, who wants to be promoted within their family? You know, that God would raise you up in your family to be an influencer in your family, maybe. It, it, you know, apply it wherever it fits. But God is looking to promote people. I really believe that. I really believe He's wanting to promote. Well, here's something. Uh, David's conflict with the Amalekites. Chapter 30, 1 Samuel. <sighs> Hallelujah. Somebody. How about doing me a big fat favor, Amy? Come in here and read this for me. <laughs> Just stop at verse 8. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Malachites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Zik south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, and help me out, Jim, <laughs> and the um, Zerites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the the Israelite had been taken captive. Now David his greatly distressed, was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, his, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, Please bring that. I thought, sorry, I'm not here to me. And Abathar brought that effort to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this, this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Amen. That's great. Good job, Amy. Well, this is a pretty famous scripture. I think most of you know it. We'll probably have thought about it a long time, but um, a lot of messages preached out of it. But um, here, here's the thing. Um, it's like David's final exam. Next big thing that happened to David, he was anointed king. David didn't know he was taking his final exam that day. You hear what I'm saying to you? He didn't know he was taking his final exam. And I think that's really the key is what I want you uh, all you CSM students, you thought you took your final exam a couple of weeks ago on that Tuesday night. 
or you high school graduates, you thought you finished up and got your degree and you had your final exam, but you didn't really have your final exam yet. You know, just having that little piece of paper doesn't qualify you for anything, really. You can ask any uh, newly graduate electrical engineer what it feels like to go out into the work world and get totally abused by old engineers and squash you like a bug, like you thought you knew something when you walked in the door. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's what happens to engineers a lot. They'll squash you like a bug with your little piece of paper. How embarrassing for an engineer who graduated from MIT, which is the mecca of engineering schools in this country, to have to work for a guy who graduated from UNCC. That would be humiliating. Well, that happened to some MIT graduates. They were working for me. (laughs) That was bad, man. Those guys were 40 times smarter than me. You hear what I'm saying to you? But this is important. It says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Everybody say that. He doesn't tell us how David strengthened himself in the Lord. But David strengthened himself in the Lord and went and got back everything that was taken. He got back everything. And then shortly thereafter, the next big event, David came out of the wilderness. David quit being chased by Saul. David quit running for his life and became the king, the greatest king Israel ever had, apart from Christ himself. So there's some some keys here. Okay, I'm just going to stick with what's in here. Okay, I'm going to just sort of stick with what's in here instead of trying to tell you all these other things about how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Because see, that's the exam. That's your final. How to strengthen yourself. Everybody say myself. Amen. That's what we're talking about here. So i got seven tests out of here. There were seven tests, and this is like the final, but each one of these tests I have went through in my life and failed most of them at least one time, okay? And then this is sort of like the cumulative, you know, the final exam is a combination of all seven of those things that I see, okay? Y'all with me? Number one, test number one, here's what you got to learn. I'm telling you everything you need to learn so you can pass this exam. Number one, learn to minister to yourself before the day of calamity. Learn to minister to yourself before the day of calamity comes because every person is going to face their day of calamity. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how handsome you are or how popular you are or how gifted you are. You are going to face a day of calamity in your life. And that is not the day to start learning how to strengthen yourself and encourage yourself and build yourself up and get yourself through. Is that right, Judy? You faced your day of calamity. You faced your day of calamity. That day comes for everybody. It's different for everybody. So learn before that day comes. You can't wait on other people to appreciate you. You can't wait on other people to bless you, to encourage you, to tell you how good you're doing. If you're depending on that to get you there, you've made a big mistake. You're making a big mistake. If that's what you're waiting on to help you get where you need to go is other people. Peter didn't step out of the boat and walk on the water because everybody in the boat was saying, Come on, Peter, go do it, go do it. We know you can do it, Peter. Peter stepped out of that boat because the Lord, he said to the Lord, If that's you, Lord, tell me to come and I'll come. And the Lord said, Come on, and he came. That was, that was the encouragement he had. And we've got to learn when our, tr- our day of trouble is small. When we wake up in the morning, I don't feel so good. I'm sort of depressed. I'm bummed. I don't know what I'm bummed about. Don't depend on your spouse to lift you up. Don't depend on your friends to lift you up. Here's another thing that happens to people. God will hide your difficulties from people. He will hide them from them. 
You feel like you're going through, you know, everything. You go to church and nobody, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Nobody even knows. Nobody just pass over you. Anybody have that happen to them? God does that on purpose. And the reason He does it, He wants to teach you to strengthen yourself in the day of small trouble, to bless yourself, to encourage yourself. And if you don't learn that one, you're not going to get there. You cannot depend on other people. Later in David's life, he had a situation where it says, I think it's in 2 Samuel 24, where he numbered the people. And you know what happened? The, the, the teaching for us is he counted the people. He counted on the people. And I'm going to tell you something. People are going to break your hearts. They're always going to break your heart. You need to learn that. And people will break your heart. They will crush your heart. You've got to learn to draw within you the encouragement that you need to do what you feel like God's called you to do, to be what you think God's called you to be. It's a big test. It's a big lesson. Amen? That's point number one. Learn to minister to yourself before the day of calamity. Number two. This is important. Verse six. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke. The people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his son and his daughters. Lesson number two, learn to fight the enemy, not people. Learn to fight the enemy, not people. Because this is the truth. Fighting people will not get you what you believe God has promised you. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Fighting people will not change. You can win the battle with people. You, David could have won the battle with those people. Convinced them people. I didn't do this. They were upset because they had lost their families and they were looking for somebody to blame. It happened to be David, poor guy. And David somehow could have convinced those people, it wasn't my fault, I was with you guys, I didn't do this. But it would not got their families back. So many people want to blame somebody else. Eve blamed, uh, Adam blamed Eve, did that change a thing? did not change a thing. You've got to learn how to fight the battle. It's not people. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not the school's fault. It's not the principal's fault. It's not your teacher's fault. That teacher, you know, I'm failing this test. It's his fault. He's not a good teacher. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. And we've got to learn where the battle is. The battle is not that person next to you. The battle is a, is a spiritual battle. And we've got to learn to direct our fire there. Are you with me? So the next time you're having a hard time, don't blame me. <laughs> You'd be surprised things that people blame on the church. I'm serious. Because things are not working in their life. It's not them's fault. You hear what I'm saying to you? Learn how to fight your battle. Learn where your battle's at. Number three, you got that one? Learn to fight with faith. Learn to fight with faith. It says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke. Everybody say spoke. Spoke of stoning him. And here's the truth. The devil's going to let you hear stuff that's going to rip you apart. The devil's going to let you see stuff that is going to destroy you. You hear what I'm saying to you? He, that's what he's made on because the devil knows there's power in words. Just like there's power in, in composing confession of your faith. And speaking life, he knows there's a power in speaking negative things. 
and you can face and you can hear things. You see, they were saying, we're going to kill David. He was hearing that. You think his faith wasn't shook at that moment? People are going to say stuff. People are going to do stuff. You can stand there and you can look at what's in front of you. And it may be destruction in front of you. What he was seeing that day, he was seeing smoke and rubble. And he was seeing his family gone. And that is exactly what the enemy wants to present to people. And when we just live by that, we've lost the battle. You've got to believe the thing that God has said to you. You've got to believe the thing that God has promised to you is still there. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's faith. That's not sight. Are you all with me? Good. God will protect what He's promised you. And we see that with David. God protected what He gave him. He protected it. And we've got to believe it. This is what uh, it says in Romans 4, 17. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And that's what God's called us to do as Christians. Oh, man, my wife, she's just so messed up. You know, she's such a mean thing. That's not faith. Oh, my wife's such a wonderful person, Lord. God bless her. She's got some issues. She's a great person, though, Lord. Encourage her today. Let her be a, a Proverbs 31 woman. You know, that's faith. you got to fight with faith. you got to learn how to do that. That's number three. We okay? Number four. <laughs> this is a good one. Learn. Every one of these are tests you will go through. I promise you, you better listen to me. If you ain't never took notes before, you better write these down. Because you're going to get tested on one of them. You may be in your big test. God may be looking to promote your hide. All these things may be coming at you at one time. Don't fail them. You can, you can fail one of them make 90 on it. Or whatever it might be, 85. Learn, this is important one, learn that you are most vulnerable to those closest to you. You are most vulnerable to those closest to you. It says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke. The people, who were those people? Those people were those same guys who ran out to him when he was in that cave. Remember? I think the Bible calls them something like mighty men of valor. You see, it's those people that are closest to you that can affect you the most. Those people that are closest to you that can have the most impact on your life. You know, it wasn't the Pharisees who betrayed Jesus. It wasn't Pontius Pilate who betrayed Jesus. It was Judas, one of his disciples, the person he even addressed as friend when he came to, to betray him. And the moral of the story is this, is you better watch out who you let really be in the inner circle in your life. Here, here's, this is the truth. Some of you got confusion in your life. You know why you got confusion? Because confusion. Because you're listening to people who don't have faith in their life. You, you see what I'm saying? You're hanging around people, and those people are influencing you. They don't got no faith. They're negative people. They're cynical people. And you've allowed them into your life, and they're speaking stuff in life. And so here you are hearing this, and then you get around some of the other friends who really are trying to follow the Lord and really, really believe in God and press in things of God, and you're hearing something else from them, and you've got this confusion on you. Well, the confusion is this. You've got, to get, you've got to get those people who are negative. You've got to get those cynical people. You've got to get those unbelieving people. And you've got to hold them at arm's distance. You cannot let them into your inner circle of your life. 
That's the moral of the story. Because it'll destroy you. Man, some people can say stuff to me all day long. I don't even listen to it. But if my wife says something, you better believe I'm going to listen to it. You know, we got this thing at our church on the website, and we put stuff on there. And I got this note one day from somebody in wherever they was from, some old nasty religious spirit saying all this negative stuff about us and something I said in there. And You know what I did? I took about three seconds and hit that delete button and kept bucking. You see what I'm saying? Because I thought, who is this, you know, who is this turkey? You know? If I promise you somebody that I was close to started saying that stuff to me, it would tear me up. So you better learn that you're most vulnerable to the people you're closest to. So you better choose those that you're going to let into your life very carefully. Very carefully. Amen? I've seen some good Christians. There's some good people in this room have been whipped lately because you've listened to stuff that wasn't true. You've allowed negative things to enter into your life. And now you're all messed up and you're off sideways and you've got your finger out like this. You know, you know what I've seen happen lots of times? Some of the people you listen to, they wind up getting straight and repenting and going on with God, and you're still sitting over here, yeah, but, you know, and yeah, but, and, you know, you got it from this person who's repenting and said, I was wrong. You know, I shouldn't have said that. You hear what I'm saying? So learn to be careful about who you let into your life. Number five, learn to deal with stress. It says, David was greatly distressed. It says in verse 4 that they had no more power to weep. No more power to weep. And whenever you get in a situation where everybody's all flipping out and all messed up, you know how policemen's one of the calls that they say they do not like to have domestic calls where there's a fight in the family? They, they fear that because people do stupid stuff in those situations. You know? People do things they regret. They say things. They, they carry out actions. So the police really hate those kind of domestic calls. And that's really what was going on here. These people just had no more power. They were just tore up about the situation they were in. And there was just all this emotion that was running rampant. And it says David himself was greatly distressed. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot function all stressed out. You just can't do it. You've got to deal with the stress. You've got to find a way of getting rid of it. And here's the thing. Everybody naturally tends to feed on the things that stress them out. You hear what I'm saying? We tend to feed on those things. Well, my boss is a hard boss to work for, and you're all messed up because of your boss, so you're feeding on that. And you're justifying why you're stressed out. Are you following me? And because you're justifying why you're stressed out, you'll never deal with the stress. Because you've justified, I'm stressed out because of the boss. I'm stressed out because of the, of the, of the family situation. I'm stressed out because of the church situation. I'm stressed out because of the way I look. And so we justify why we're stressed out. We never deal with stress, therefore you're never able to function. You've got to deal with it. You know, go take a walk. Go do something. Get over it. Because you can't do what God's called you to do. Get God's perspective on the situation. Are y'all cool with that? If you, feel, if you feel justified about what you're stressed out about, you will never do anything about it. You'll stay messed up. You'll stay stressed out. You'll stay stressed out. Number six, this is a great one. <laughs> you will, the Lord will get you on number six. Learn not to be presumptuous. Learn not to be presumptuous. Verse eight, David inquired of the Lord, saying, 
Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Here's what presumption is. Presumption is confidence without carefulness. You hear that? Anybody hear that? Presumption is confidence without carefulness. Now, a sign of being presumptuous is acting before we're careful to know what God's got to say about the situation. Now, that's presumption. And I can promise you that will not work. And that's what I was saying to you about what you got in your hand. If God's saying, well, you know, I'm fixing to shake things up and change things. Like, okay, well, I need to start laying these things in. That's presumption. That's why I was saying you've got to open your hand to God and say, what do you want to take out of my hand, God? What do you want me to hold on to? What do you want me to let go of? Are y'all following me? Because you're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have a test at the end. We're gonna have a. You know, everybody's gonna take out a piece of paper and write. I'm gonna tell you write down seven things that you need to learn. Okay, seven things you need to learn. Learn not to be presumptuous. Let me tell you this: before Peter stepped out of that boat, guess what he did? He just didn't. Oh gosh, there's God out there. Hey, I know He wants me out there. I'm going out there. You know, just jumping out there. He didn't do that. He said, Lord. If that, if that is you, if that's you, tell me to come out there with you. That's what he did. If that is you, God, tell me, and I will come out there with you. Don't assume things on God. Don't presume he's going to do what you think he's going to do. Ask God. Take the time. Be careful to speak to God about it and find out what his heart is on the subject. Before you go to that person, you see all messed up and twisted and torn. They need to be, this needs to be said, and they need to do this, and they need to do that. And You better ask God before you go and do that. Because you don't know what God's doing. Are y'all with me? Presumption. Learn not, you'll learn that one the hard way. I'm, you know. All right, number seven. This is the last one. I'm doing good. Uh, learn to pursue only those things that God has revealed to your heart that He has given you. You got that? Learn to pursue only those things that God has given to you, that He's revealed to your heart that He's given you. You can't be pursuing something. That's what David said. And the Lord answered him, or He answered him, verse 8, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Two of the most futile activities you can do in your life is number one is trying to keep something alive that God is saying, that's over. That's futility to try to keep something alive that God said, I'm through with that. It's dead. It's finished. That's yesterday's manna. Would you just let it go? Would you just change your hairstyle or get some new shoes? Those styles are done. It's futility to keep wearing them shoes that were popular in 1988. You know, I'm just trying to put it in terms you can understand. It's futility to have the 1989 hairstyle. And when God said this is the year 2002, do something different. It's futile to keep doing that. Here's another futile thing. It's to go after something God has never really said to go after. I didn't tell you to do that. It's futile. And it can be in ministry. It can be in your life. Oh, I know God's called me to marry that person while they're engaged to somebody else. Don't trust people when they start telling about how God's told them they're supposed to marry somebody, especially when they're fixing to marry, you know, they're walking down the altar. I mean, 90% of the time they're wrong. You know, your career, all that stuff. You've got to pursue what God's got. I remember with our church, when we're back when the old 21, oh, we just knew God wanted us to have that building. Didn't we? 
We just knew we did. And we just kept on going after that thing, going after that thing, until one day I came home from the beach and got a letter in the mail and said, in 30 days, you're out of here. And I spent the next week begging those people. Talked to the owner. Couldn't get anywhere with him. Talked to the realtor. Couldn't get anywhere with him. Talked to the guy who was buying it. Couldn't get him. You know, it's like God got two days extra out of the deal. But you can stay two days longer since it's like close to the 4th of July or something. But you better be out there by midnight that Friday night. I think the, the, the month ended on Wednesday and he gave us the Friday night. That's futile. Going after something God hadn't called you to do. You can want something all day long and it not be God. And you can put a lot of energy and a lot of effort into pursuing something that's not God. And it's futile. Because in the end, if God is mercy, merciful to your lazy, sorry hide, you know, if he's really merciful to you, he's not going to let you have it. And it's not mercy when God does let you have what you go after that's not him because it hurts you. You know? But once you get God on something, you know, once you got him, then you got him. Once God says, yeah, go after him, you can do it. It's like with Peter. Once he got that word, he didn't have to turn around and talk to everybody in the boat. Let's have a meeting. You know, Jesus has told me to walk out here. What do you guys think? Let's vote and see if I should take the step. Which side of the boat should I step out on? And how should I do it? And, you know, what am I supposed to do when I get out there? Am I supposed to do something? No, he didn't do any of that thing. He just jumped out there and started walking. So once you've got God, you can go. You know, you don't have to do all this stuff that we do, that we throw in there. And here's another thing. You got you need to just get happy with the thing God has given you. When we had to move out of that building, this is a good example to me, and God moved us into the building we was into, I wasn't particularly happy with that building. That God was saying, you're out, and you're going over here. You know, and, if you, and you're going whether you want to go or not. You can just sit here, but they're going to haul your hide to the jail if you sit here. He's already said, you're gone by midnight. You're a trespasser. You better get happy with what God has given you. Don't try to go after something somebody else has. You know, get happy with what God has given you. And be blessed with the giftings He's put in your life. Stop comparing yourself to other people and want what they got. Get happy with you. I'm serious. Get happy with what God's put in you. Get happy about it. I wish I could do this stuff. That's pretty awesome. I can't do it. I wish I could stand up here and play an instrument. And bad as I could do anything, I wish I could. 